Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities, the Archdiocese of Denver. Remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. We have a special show today, Sister Maristella of the Sisters of Life. And for many of you, you may remember that she was our very first guest ever. So as part of the Gospel Life presentation that took place in Colorado in October of 2022, here is an extended excerpt on the Eucharist as the source of our life and how it enables us to live the gospel of life. What's great that this conference is taking place on the Feast of John Paul II, who came to Denver, who proclaimed the gospel of life, the mission of life, and implored us to speak the gospel of life. He was also a great man of the Eucharist. Um, this year, on the, and we, uh, you all know, on the Feast of Corpus Christi, we began a three-year Eucharistic revival throughout the country. And today I would like to speak to you about how the Eucharist is the source of our life and it enables us to live the gospel of life. And as the basis of my reflection, I'll use the gospel of John and I'll speak about three things. The dignity of the human person, transforming the culture, and abiding in Jesus's Eucharistic heart. So creation, transformation, and abiding. Jesus is the word who creates us. He is the bread of life who transforms us, and he is the vine who invites us to abide. So creation. The Gospel of St. John begins with the most stunningly beautiful words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Piercing words that are worthy of a lifetime of meditation. All things were made through him. If we pause long enough and look at the world around us, we can see the incredible beauty and intentionality of God's work in nature. All things were made through Christ. But as beautiful as the things of nature are, oceans, waterfalls, shooting stars, mountains, radiant sunrises and sunsets, we know that a single soul is more valuable, more precious than the entire created universe. That means you and the person sitting next to you. Because when God created the human person, he did, his handiwork was altogether unique. All of the other elements of, of nature were commanded into being. He said, let it be, and it was. Light, seas, plants, animals. But when God created his masterpiece, the human person, his handiwork was utterly distinct. We can eavesdrop on a conversation on the Blessed Trinity in scripture. In the book of Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image, in our image and likeness, male and female. Then in Genesis 2-7, it says, God breathed the breath of life into man, and man became a living being. We know that God is the author of life. I like to imagine that with each person, God is like a divine artist. He imagines every detail about you the color of your eyes, the shape of your face, the sound of your voice. And he falls in love with this idea of you and says, he must be, she must be. 
He breathes life into your soul and you're destined to live forever. And it's as if at the very first moment of your existence, God impresses his love upon your soul like a divine kiss. So we go through life with a memory of this love that's infinite. So your origin and your destiny is this extravagant love of God. And he wants to live in this love. Cardinal O'Connor, who's the founder of our community, was the late Archbishop of New York. He was a real hero of the pro-life movement. He's often called the patriarch and the prophet of the pro-life movement. And he would continuously thank and applaud those who worked on behalf of human life. And he had this incredible capacity to recognize the dignity in every human person he encountered. He said, in every single one of you, weak or strong, whatever your situation at the moment, I see the reflection of the sacred, the image and likeness of Almighty God. I see you as a sacred person of priceless dignity and worth. I'm absolutely convinced that huge numbers of you are living saints, regardless of your weaknesses, and that all of you have enormous potential for even greater goodness than that which you already practice so valiantly. To underestimate you is to underestimate God for each of you is sparked with his divinity. God has created you to love and be loved, and he's given you a mission in this world that no one else can fulfill. In the Gospel of John, Jesus reassures us, says to us, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus has called you personally into his mission, into his mission of building a culture of life in this world. If you're anything like me on a bad day, you might think, Jesus, you called the wrong person. But he knows what he's about. Jesus knows each one of us from within. He knows why we react the way we do. He knows the desires of our hearts. He knows our regrets, our insecurities. He knows our goals. He knows our fears. He knows our hopes and our dreams. He knows what motivates us. He knows what burdens us. And he sees the entirety of your life. And in a single glance, He speaks the radical truth over us, that you are unconditionally loved. God's choice for you, his love for you, is something deeply personal, profound, and lasting. God never holds anything of himself back. He continuously gives himself to us with ardor and passion. He never revokes his choice for us. So God created you, and he's called you by name. He's called you into his mission of building the culture of life. So that's creation. And he continuously nourishes us. Jesus is the bread of life who wants to feed us and transform us. St. John Paul II invited Catholics to regain a sense of Eucharistic amazement. I love this heart-stirring phrase, Eucharistic amazement. This captures the beauty of Jesus' love. The truth that the God who created the universe also makes himself so humble, so vulnerable, that he waits for us in the Blessed Sacrament. And he wants to nourish us with his body. St. John Paul II said that the Eucharist has a truly enormous capacity which embraces all of history and imparts to us the grace of redemption, the gift of our salvation. 
The Gospel of John is rich with Eucharistic themes. And the bread of life discourse in John chapter 6, Jesus makes the solemn declaration of his real presence in the Eucharist, saying, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread come down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Our Eucharistic faith is based on our belief that Jesus is God and he speaks the truth. He's told us that he's present in the Blessed Sacrament. And because he's the all-powerful God, he has the power to accomplish this sublime mystery through his word, through the words of the priest. So leading up to the Bread of Life discourse in John's Gospel, Jesus gives two miracles, or signs, as John refers to them. The miracle of the wedding feast at Cana and the feeding of the 5,000. In both cases, these miracles take place on the Feast of Passover over two consecutive years. We know that Passover celebrates the redemption of the chosen people from slavery and their deliverance to freedom. Passover foreshadows Jesus who fights for us and brings about our ultimate redemption and the ultimate redemption of mankind, freeing us from the slavery of sin and bringing us to eternal life. Throughout God's work, we see his utter generosity. Pope Benedict describes salvation history in this way. He says that Christ is the infinite self-expenditure of God. Excess is God's trademark. God does not ration his gifts. Excess is the real foundation and form of salvation history, which is nothing other than the truly breathtaking fact that God is an incredible outpouring of himself. He expends not only a universe, but his own self in order to lead man, a speck of dust, to salvation. Excess is the real mark of salvation history. The purely calculating mind will always find this absurd, that for man, God should expend himself. Only the lover can understand this law of excess. Only the lover can understand the law of excess. So we see this excessive love of Christ in his miracles. Jesus prefers, performs both of these miracles uh, on, as I said, on the Passover. And on the third Passover, he will perform the Last Supper, which, where he transforms the bread and wine into his body and blood. So the first sign, the wedding feast of Cana. Jesus shows his command over matter and nature, and that his word is effective and has the power to substantially transform one thing into another. Namely, he changes the water into wine. When Jesus is informed by his mother that the couple has ran out of wine, Jesus asks the servers, fill the six stone jars with water. And then he tells them to take, take what has been transformed into wine to the steward of the feast. When the steward of the feast tasted it, he was blown away by the quality of it, saying, every man serves the good wine first, and when men have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. God's ways are not our ways. Jesus is utterly excessive. And we see his utter generosity. These six stone jars 
become the equivalent of about 150 bottles of top quality wine. We know that he's the word through whom all things were created and he has the power to transform not nature because he's created it. Jesus transforms water into wine and he has the power to transform this wine into his blood. We, this, we see this same overflowing generosity in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus again shows his power over nature as he foreshadows the Last Supper. Like the accounts of the Last Supper, the feeding of the 5,000 begins with the words, Jesus took the loaves, and when he, is given, and he, when he had given thanks, he distributed them. Then with only five loaves and two fish, Jesus feeds thousands. With 12 baskets full left over, we see Jesus' extravagant and abundant love. So as he multiplies the bread, he will, through the priest, transform the bread into his body. So these two miracles of Cana and the feeding of the 5,000 take place at Passover. On the third year of the celebration of Passover, Jesus institutes the Eucharist, and he chooses for all time to remain present in the Eucharist. So it's natural that we should desire to spend time with Jesus who's present in the Eucharist, to spend time with him, this Eucharist that is the proof of his love. Every time we go to Mass or to Eucharist adoration, though our senses and our emotions might fail us and we might feel nothing, we can make the act of faith that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist. St. Thomas Aquinas said, truth himself speaks truly or there's nothing true. So when we pray, when we spend time before the Eucharist, we're given the strength to transform our culture. Because as I said, God desires an intimate relationship with each person he created. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and ruptured that original design, God was moved to a degree beyond what we can imagine. He sent his son to restore what was lost, one heart at a time. God so loved the world that he sent his son. The Catechism tells us that in sending his son into the world, God revealed his innermost secret. This is something amazing to ponder. Consider in your own heart a secret, a secret place of your heart, a place of profound vulnerability. Who do you share this place with? Well, God wants to share his innermost secret with you, which is that he's an exchange of love. And by sending his son Jesus into the world, he makes us, it possible for us to be drawn into this communion of love and to live in that love. As Sisters of Life, we have the joy to see hearts shift in the women we're serving, to help them choose life for themselves and for their children. And therefore, they transform the culture one heart at a time. The gospel has the power and the beauty to change, transform lives and hearts. Today, I want to, we, when we speak of building the culture of life, we can speak of it in terms of something physical, of implementing programs and strategies. And these things are very important. But today, I'd rather speak, rather than speaking of programs or externals, I'd like to speak about building the culture of life from the inside out, beginning with the interior, with the invisible world. This is the way the saints throughout history shaped culture. 
As mystics so on fire with the love of God, steeped in prayer, they're caught up in the beauty and wonder of Christ in the Eucharist. Their love became a spiritual force that radiated outward. Throughout the centuries, the saints were infused with the divine love and were nourished by Jesus in the Eucharist. In this dynamic relationship with Christ, they influenced those around him and transformed the culture from the inside out. In the second century, St. Ignatius of Antioch was being brought by chains to Rome to his martyrdom, and he wrote, there is a water living inside of me, speaking in me, saying, come to the Father. He continued, I take no pleasure in corruptible food or the pleasure of this life. I want the bread of God, which is the, fresh, which is the flesh of Christ. And for his drink, I want his blood, which is incorruptible love. John Paul II echoed these same sentiments in the Gospel of Life, saying, Whoever in the sacrament of the Eucharist drinks Jesus' blood abides in Jesus. Whoever does this is drawn into the dynamism of his love and the gift of life. It is from the blood of Christ that all draw strength to commit themselves to promoting life. It's precisely this blood that is the most powerful source of hope. The saints were seized by the love of God and found their strength in the blood of Christ. This is the invitation that Jesus holds out to each one of us, to become seized by his love, to be nourished by the Eucharist, so that we become bright lights for the world who build the culture of life from the inside out, following the pattern of the mystics and the saints. It's been wisely observed that we're no longer living in a culture that's supportive of Christian values. Our culture bears a resemblance to what the early apostles experienced. One theologian said that, that the Christian of our day must be a mystic, a soul with the deep and profound knowledge of God. He predicted that today's Christian would be more like the ancient martyrs because we don't have the external structures and attitudes to uphold us in our values. Because of this, we need to have a deep and profound inner experience of God to sustain us in our courage and to strengthen us in the lonely decisions required to follow our consciences. So transforming the culture begins when we allow ourselves to be transformed by the love of God. Jesus once said to St. Teresa of Avila, I would create the whole world again just to hear you say that you love me. And he would say the same to you. This union, this intimacy, is what Jesus holds out to each one of us. Each one of you is called to holiness, to become a saint. And in this moment, you're being sufficient grace to become a saint and a mystic. So to continue to live our vocations, our missions, we have to be souls of prayer. And one mode of being transformed by the love of Christ is to simply allow Jesus to look at us in prayer. That we allow Christ to gaze upon us. Or if you will, we allow ourselves to make eye contact with God in prayer. To exchange a gaze of love with him. And he, where he receives and gives all of his love to us. And when we gaze upon Jesus in the Eucharist, he transforms our hearts and he transforms our vision. Cardinal O'Connor said that when your heart beats with the heart of Christ, you see the whole world differently.
You see each person as an icon of the living God. I'm sure all of you have experienced this in some way, which has brought you into the pro-life movement. Christ has gazed upon you and you've received that look of love, whether or not you can articulate it. But to continue in this mission, Mother Teresa would tell people, if I can give you any advice in this life, it would be to spend time with Jesus in the Eucharist. I'm sure many of you have a weekly or even a daily holy hour, and I'm willing to bet it's the best hour or week of your life. We go to the Eucharist because it's the fountain of life. When we go before the Blessed Sacrament, we're kneeling before this fountain where Jesus speaks. He says to us, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. From this fountain, he pours out upon the world all the merits of his sufferings. From this fountain, the saints and the mystics drink deeply. A sister was asked, what do you do when you go to adoration? She said, I could kneel there forever. God is there. What do I do? I marvel, I love, I thank, I beg. What does a beggar do when he sees a rich man? Or what does a sick, sick person do when he sees a doctor? Or what does a starving man do when he sees food? What does someone do who's been wandering in the, through the desert and sees a well? Here, we drink deeply from the fountain of life and we receive all that we need. And this is where deep inner transformation takes place in our hearts. This is where all the healing we need takes place. So if you haven't set aside time yet for daily prayer, I invite you to do so, to make a commitment. This will aid you and guide you and give you the strength you need to build a culture of life. At the end of her life, Mother Teresa wrote a letter to all of her sisters, which she asked them to read in the chapel before the Blessed Sacrament so that Jesus could speak directly to their hearts. She said, Jesus wants me to tell you how much he loves you. I worry that some of you have still not, who have still really not met Jesus one-on-one, -on -one, you and him alone. Jesus wants me to tell you again how much he loves you beyond anything you can imagine. We may spend time with Jesus in chapel, but have you seen with the eyes of your soul how he looks at you with love? Do you really know the living Jesus, not from books, but from being with him in your heart? Have you heard the loving words he speaks to you? Ask for this grace. He's longing to give it to you. I love this line. Jesus wants us to know how deeply loved we are for him. She tells us to ask for this grace and gives us assurance that God wants to give it to us, not just once, but again and again and again, Jesus wants to nourish us with this truth. Mother Teresa continues, never give up this daily intimate contact with Jesus as a real living person, not an idea. How can we last even one day living our lives without hearing Jesus say, I love you? It's impossible. Our soul needs this as much as the body needs air to breathe. If not, prayer is dead. Meditation is only thinking. Jesus wants you to hear him, speaking in the silence of your heart. Not only that he loves you, but more, he longs for you. He misses you when you don't come to him. He thirsts for you. He loves you always, even when you don't feel worthy, even when you're not accepted by others, even sometimes when you don't accept yourselves. He's the one who always accepts you. 
He knows your weakness. He wants only your love, and he wants the chance to love you. He wants the chance to love you. So prayer is not so much about doing or saying. It's about receiving and abiding in God's love. Prayer is giving God the joy of loving you. So I want to share with you a way of prayer that a student I know actually taught me. So I invite you to think of a place in your heart that's in need of God's love and mercy. And just think of, take a moment and think of a place in your heart that's in need of God's love and mercy. And I invite you to say with me, Jesus, love me there. Jesus, love me there. And I thought maybe we could play, pray a litany of requests together. And I'll ask you to repeat after each phrase, Jesus, love me there. In the places of my heart that haven't received the gospel, Jesus, love me there. In the places of my heart that are dead or in the tomb. Jesus, love in the places where I continue to sin. Jesus, love in the places where I've lost hope. Jesus, love in the places where my heart is hardened and closed off to others. Jesus, love in the places of my addictions. Jesus, in the places where my heart is broken in the places that are totally bought, blocked because of pain or fear. Jesus, love in the places where I'm ashamed and I can't raise my eyes to you. Jesus, in this place in my family that's messy or frustrating or broken. Jesus, in this situation or relationship that's impossible. Jesus, we trust in you, amen. Whenever we ask Jesus to come into our lives, he comes and love enters and love stands fast before shame, humbly, gently with strength. Yes, love stands fast until the shame goes away and only love remains. When we receive God's love in our hearts, it transforms ourselves and it transforms how we see others. So lastly, I want to speak about abiding in, in Jesus, abiding in his love. In John 15, he says, remain in my love. He tells us, I am the vine and you are the branches. As the Father has loved me, so I also love you. Abide in my love. You've been listening to Sister Maristella of the Sisters of Life, who spoke as part of the Gospel Life presentation in Colorado. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.